time. It's time to get back to the Matt Wyatt Show. Live in the studio. Hour number two off and running. I'm Matt in the Bureau, the Farm Bureau Insurance Studio, Farm Bureau Insurance. Go! With the home team. Hey, who was it? What's the guy's name who always called us? He was a Ohio State fan. DJ? His name DJ? I think it's DJ. I haven't heard from DJ in a while. But he was he's a fun caller. He uh, always talk about Ohio State. But he talk about other things too. I just thought DJ, if you're out there, you might want to know this. Ryan Day, new head coach. Sorry, not new. The head coach at the Ohio State University. He's getting a two-year contract extension. It's going to position him as uh, the head coach of the Buckeyes at least through 2028. We know how that – I mean, that's what the contract says. They fire him whenever they get buyouts. So his total compensation will increase from $7.6 million a year. That wasn't enough. All the way up to $9.5 million a year. Can't you see Dr. Evil reading this with his pinky in the corner of his mouth there? $9.5 million a year with a base salary of $2 million per year. So this man's got $7.5 million in incentives? What is that? A, how am I supposed to decipher this? Anyway, thought I'd point it, you know, pass it along. DJ, if you're out there, that's for you. Go Buckeyes. Big deal. $9.5 million a year for the coach. Let's make sure those kids go to class. <laughs> Stop laughing. Stop laughing. All right. Last night in Stark Vegas was the final midweek baseball game of the year. Um, depending on how this Weekend plays out against the number one Tennessee Vols in Duty Noble Field, Polk Demand Stadium. Could be one of the last few games of the year. <laughs> uh, because State's got to win this weekend just to extend the season and get to Hoover. We know that. Uh, last night, though, in terms of midweek, kind of went out in style. But speaking of in style, did you see the broadcast? Let's talk about it right now with one of the guys who was on the broadcast. Charlie Winfield, who was on the uh, the SEC Network, SEC Network Plus with Bart Gregory, but not in the broadcast booth. No, no, no. They were in style elsewhere in the stadium, and he's on your radio right now. Charlie, good day to you. I almost said good morning, but it's afternoon. Um, State put some runs on the board last night, huh? Well, they did. Um, Matt, I just have to comment real quickly. Yeah. Uh, whatever you need me to do, I'll do it for half of what Ryan Day will do it for. <laughs> he's a, I guess he's worth every penny. I mean, I wouldn't know. <laughs> but like I said, Charlie, I just hope that he's doing his what it says in his contract and make all those guys go to class, you know? Wink, wink. Well, you know, I always said education first and foremost, and I'm sure that's, that's the approach at the Ohio State University, <laughs> I'm certain. They're known for that. <laughs> well, right. What's that line from uh, Tommy Boy? I'm picking up your sarcasm. Well, I should hope so <laughs> because I'm laying it on pretty thick. Yeah, yeah, good stuff. No, um, I wanted to talk to you because 
not so much about the game uh, last night, but you and Bart had an experience. So y'all broadcast the game, like did a whole TV broadcast and everything, but sitting in the outfield, am I right? Yeah, we did, and, you know, it was really special to me. We actually used my outfield spot, and and to understand the significance of that, to me, you kind of have to go back in time. We started as a family sitting in that spot when I was 12 years old, so 1984. And, you know, that's where in 1984 I watched Stuart Weedye walk one off for UNO to put us out of a regional it's where I watched us win a regional in 85, and you come forward to the Masters Grand Slam, Brooks Bryan robbing a home run, and then Ty Martin walk off. All those things I took in at that spot. And so that spot's been kind of special. But then fast forward to growing older and having kids of my own who have grown up and now in college and want a recent graduate, you know, it's been pretty cool to watch them kind of grow in their love for baseball, standing against the same spot in the fence that I did a number of years ago. And so to be able to do it out there, to be able to, in fact, my whole family was out there, a whole outfield group was there. <laughs> and so, yeah, it was uh, it was really, really special. And I got to tell you, um, it was fun. It was, uh, it, it was just a blast. You know, as you were describing it, and as I was kind of seeing some of the lead up to that broadcast last night, Charlie, I, I kept in my head seeing that image that old black and white image of harry carey calling cubs games or maybe it was before he went to the cubs maybe it was when he was doing the cardinals games where he would sit out basically in the stands out there kind of behind one of the dugouts up a few rows from home plate and if he wanted to get a suntan he'd just pull his shirt off and sit there and do the game shirtless have you ever seen that photo Oh, I have, and a little-known fact, Bart wanted to do that, but the glare uh, was distracting the hitters. They put a stop to that. Yeah, I'm, <laughs> so, I'm sure. <laughs> no, and so, you know, that's part of it, too, for me, Matt, is, um, you know, I'm kind of uh, get kind of sentimental about baseball, yeah. and I absolutely love the old stadiums, the old announcers, and, and all those connections, and so... Um, to me, you know, when you watch a Harry Carey growing up doing those things, it kind of kind of makes you want to do it. And and if I can tell you one other quick thing about that spot, Matt, you know, in many ways, um, and it's all about getting sentimental. In many ways, that's where I first fell in love with broadcasting. You know, people who were, you know, my close friends would know that I had a younger sister um, who had a brain tumor and um, lost her sight. So. She lived for five years from 1985 to 1990 as a young teenager blind because of this tumor. Mm-hmm. And um, basically, we would sit in that outfield spot, and it was my job to keep her up to speed with what was happening. And so, in many ways, my and I didn't talk about this last night because I didn't think I didn't want it to be about me at all. Mm-hmm. But you know, it was kind of tough at times, not you know trying to choke that back just a little bit because. You know, in many ways, you talk about, you know, the what was going on and what was happening at all. It kind of, in many ways, for me, started right there. Isn't that something? Charlie Winfield on your radio right now. Appreciate you sharing that, Charlie. And, you know, it it kind of speaks to the power of place, uh, like a noun, a, a place. Um, I, I remember uh, talking to someone about she, – she was a um, – 
a broadcasting consultant, radio consultant. This was years ago. Someone who's, who's really uh, well-versed and re- well-traveled. And she had lots of tips for young people in radio. And I remember listening to some of the things she said. And, and one of those was talking about how people who are great at broadcasting, um, they, they have a, a way of painting the picture so that the listener slash viewer, you get this sense of place. And, and what that meant was is that it, I think as people, there's something about some places, whether it be uh, the home you grew up in or a stadium where you share memories, and that sense of place is as strong a tie as anything else. And it sounds like that's kind of what this was for you um, in a lot of ways, sitting there last night in your chair. Yeah, it was just, it was one of those things. And, and that's the beauty of it with the outfield is that that's not unique to me. You know, if the story of the outfield at Mississippi State were to be told, that's just a footnote to all the big stories that have gone on. You know, that yeah. you can go group to group out there and, and, you know, people have loved ones that they remember sitting there with. And, you know, they remember where they were when they hit the home run. They remember all these things. And, uh, you know, I still see people uh, who will come in who've moved away and you know, hadn't seen them in 20 years, and all of a sudden we're telling stories again from when we were standing there under the old cedar trees out in the outfield. And so it it was probably the strongest. You know, I've been able to do just like you have. I know you've been in a lot of cool stadiums, and I've gotten to be a lot of cool places, Cameron Indoor, all these things. But I don't know that I ever felt that any time in my life the way I did last night where it was just kind of, you know, as they say, the history can be heavy and it, it was, it was heavy last night and it was, it just really made it cool. And, you know, I know some people are purists. They don't want all that, but come on, man, it's Tuesday against North Alabama. Yeah. You know, yeah. we, we can do it now and then, right? Absolutely. Charlie Winfield on your radio. So, and I would think too, Charlie, that because you're so close to the outfield fence like you're able to do it at Duty Noble. Some stadiums, if you were on the front row of some outfield seating, you're still 15 yards away from the outfield fence. It, you wouldn't really be able to do it in a place like that, would you? No, it'd be really hard to, to feel involved. And you know, to the yeah, every time there was a pitching change last night, the center fielder was walking over uh, to the group right next to us and getting food. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I could have tossed him a cookie from where I was. He was, you know, 15 feet from you. And so, yeah, it was, the setup's really cool. And, you know, Benny Ashford, Jonathan Ashley, all those guys just went out of their way to make that work. And I I thought it was, I thought it was really cool. At at what point did y'all realize you weren't going to have to have a rain contingency plan? Or was that ever, like, thought about it leading up to it? You know, Bar and I had it easy. All we had to do was show up, but I told them I was I was ready to get wet. You know, this was uh <laughs> let's do whatever we gotta do. Sure. Um and uh you know, I I, I tell you there was a time until that sun went down where I I wouldn't have minded a quick rain shower. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's it's starting to turn into summer out there. Yeah, it sure is. Okay, the other thing was from your vantage point, which would where you guys were seated for the broadcast. Am I right, Charlie? You were slightly right center? Is that kind of where it was? Yeah, that's right. So three spots from the right center, from the center field wall, 
sports right field. Okay. And so, for instance, for example, when early in the game when Kellum Clark, who's a left-handed hitter, goes opposite field with a line drive, it drives in some runs, I guess it was opposite field double, and that ball's basically hit away from you over to left field. Your vantage point broadcasting a game, was it difficult to see the ball? Was it hard to track it? Was it difficult to see fair or foul? I'm just asking like the difference between seeing that angle versus if you were behind home plate. You know, I've told people, uh, one thing is, you know, behind home plate, you're kind of blocked out down the line uh, because of the way the stadium is shaped. So there is nothing that's blind to you from that angle, so you can see everything. And I don't know, it's almost like second nature over the years of knowing which part of the crowd to look to to see whether it's fair or foul before. You know, uh. you can almost see all this happening at once. Uh, and as I've told people, I've called balls and strikes without error from that location for a solid three years. And so uh, we don't let a little uh, lack of information get in the way out there. <laughs> Nor distance. Nor distance. You know, and, and thinking about it too, Charlie, I guess also that vantage point where you were last night from the outfield, you don't ever lose the ball if it's hit into that right field corner. Um, whereas if you're up there in the booth, ball goes in the right field corner because of the berm and stuff, you, you lose total sight of it. Yeah, and so every, you don't lose any angle at all from that vantage point. Mm-hmm. So you can see it all in front of you. Yeah, that's really neat. Okay, and I, I'm just trying to get the picture because I was unable to be there. Um, so also where you were, that's you mentioned it, but that setting sun for, a, for an evening game, is it – did it do like it does all spring where it kind of sets behind the third base side where you're kind of looking right into it for a portion of the game? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. So it was, uh, in fact, somebody sent me a message on Twitter saying uh, Charlie should have worn a hat. Mm-hmm. And uh, every time I'd come on the camera, you could see me with both hands in front of my eyes trying to block the sun. But I took that as my license to put a hat on at that point yeah. and uh, go with it from there. But you know, it is a tough gets a little bit better this time of year because of the way the sun starts to swing around but the sun field and right can can be pretty tough it's a little bit better this time of year just because it's kind of pulled a little bit more towards the football building in direction but you know you the other thing that was really interesting i told bart because of that angle you see different things and you start to notice different things than you would sitting behind the home plate so for example one of the things I always notice behind on plate is what's the shift doing? You know, is the guy at third base, even with the bag, is he on the grass? Yeah. And I don't think I ever one time yesterday looked to see if the third baseman was on the edge of the grass or back. Never occurred to me. Yeah. But it drove me crazy all night long how deep they were playing some of the guys in the outfield because, you know, it felt like you could shake hands with the center fielder. He can't hit it over your head. You've only got 10 feet. Yeah. You know, so – you, you, you start to notice those kind of different things from out there. So it's that's the great thing about baseball, too. You know, as you move around, you just see different things everywhere. And it was I think it was kind of helpful for me just to kind of reset some perspective a little bit. Sure. Charlie Winfield on your radio right now. He and Bart uh, Gregory were on the SEC Network Plus call of the baseball game last night for State, but they did it from the outfield out in the lounge. Um which is a neat broadcast. You were talking, Charlie, about balls and strikes. You know, when when I've 
called some games with Bard and we're up there in that press box, um, I, I generally will look at the monitor to see the pitches thrown a lot of times because it's giving you that center field, batter's eye, vantage point, and so you see like the location in the strike zone a little better than with my naked eye. Do you do that? I guess it's, it's just total preference. Do you do that when you're behind home plate? And I'm wondering, as far as seeing balls and strikes last night from that angle, what the difference was. It's almost completely different because I'm like you. When I'm behind the plate, I find myself being monitor first, field second. Yeah. And so I'm always watching the pitch on the monitor because I am terrible without that view of being able to figure out up, down, in, out. I'm just, I just can't do it as well uh, and can't recognize pitches as well without just seeing that center field camera view. Yeah. Then last night I found myself almost never looking at the monitor, hmm. uh, which is crazy. I had my binoculars, uh, which I very rarely use, uh, but it was just an angle that I'm <laughs> just so many years of watching that uh, you can kind of tell a lot from right there. So, but no, I'm exactly like you. I like that center field view, and that's kind of what I went with last night, just with my own eyes. When you're not broadcasting from that outfield lounge spot, and let's just say you're watching a game out there, do you grill and cook, or does somebody else do that for you? No, you know what? I uh, I provide the space, and so somebody <laughs> else can do the grilling. <laughs> um, I haven't... Uh, I haven't put a match to that grill in in years, but it gets lit every time. So uh-huh. um, I always figure if you act like you don't care enough about eating, somebody else, the desire is going to kick in, and then you can sit around and just kind of pick it up as it comes off. Yeah, and I have learned that myself about you know fans at the ball game and and even football tailgating. You know, walking to the stadium before a game, I, I've learned Charlie that. People will offer you food, and then it's almost like there's a little bit of they're a little bit put off if you refuse it. You know, it's like, hey, Matt, you want some of this right here? Try this. And if you go, no, 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 thanks, I'm good. It's almost like you've disappointed them. And you, anybody ever guilt you into eating out there in the lounge? I mean, I'll tell you what, we got a ton of food delivered to us last night, and and I'm kind of picky about what I eat. And I don't know if you know Chad Dacus. Chad, yeah, yeah. long time Mississippi State guy, big long beard. He he had his Blackstone griddle going out there, and he was sending food over. And at one point, he sent something. I was like, "Yeah, that is incredible. That is really good." And Bart's like, "What is this?" And I'm like, "Well, I'm not really sure, but it's good." <laughs> and he comes over later and he says, "Hey, by the way, y'all just ate wild turkey carnitas. There was tacos." Whoa. And I and I was like, well, and he's like, yeah, and if you saw it before I cooked it, you'd have never eaten it. I was like, just stop. I'm going to pretend that was brisket and let's keep moving. <laughs> because like, I was happier not knowing what I was eating. Yeah, just eat it and don't ask questions, right? I mean, right. especially with a former uh, Mississippi Wildlife Fisheries and Parks guy like Chad, you know, that, I'm not surprised he's got a freezer full of wild turkey and not just eating them at uh, Thanksgiving either. <laughs> He's making tacos. <laughs> uh, yeah, I probably uh, I probably let my awareness level down a little bit too much right there. <laughs> but man, yeah, we had all kinds of stuff, and I'll tell you, it really was uh, like people were great, um, and that's the thing is, uh, you know, and I know you're kind of the same way, but yeah, I think when you when I go into a ball game and bar go in 
goes in. You know, we I think our kind of mindset is we just want to be kind of two dudes watching a game with you, mm-hmm. not somebody who's trying to be professorial and teach the game. You know, Mississippi State fans know baseball. You don't have – there's no reason to talk down. You're, basically, I view it as your jobs to watch and tell them the things they can't see. Right. And – and so, in my mindset, being out in the outfield was perfect for that yeah. uh, because it was just two dudes watching a baseball game and kind of hanging out with you. Yeah, it was really cool. Yeah, enjoyed it very much. And and I'll just say, Charlie, um, with Tennessee coming in, State needs a minor miracle, you know, to get into the, the SEC tournament next week. Um, I think I'm going to join Brad Cumbest and shave my head for good luck. And um, I'll just challenge you and Bart also to get in on that, okay? I tell you, y'all don't wait on me. Uh, go ahead, and if I get if I get to the barber in time, <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. I'll wait for the picture to pop up on Twitter. <laughs> All hey. right, Charlie. Thanks, man. Good to talk to you. Enjoyed it last night. Oh, awesome. Thanks, man. Yep. Talk to you later. That's Charlie Winfield. He was half the broadcast crew with Bart Gregory last night. And and I really that's a misnomer. I say half the broadcast crew. Yes, they were broadcasting, but there's a much bigger crew than just two people that go into it. And you heard him mention uh, Jonathan Ashley and Benny Ashford and all those guys who pulled that off. Moving the whole broadcast operation from the press box to the lounge out in center field. Monitors, headsets, wires, cameras, everything. It was a heck of a deal. All right, rolling along with you here in hour two of the show. Stick around. Back. Let's roll. Here we go. Hour two rolling along. Hope you enjoyed that conversation with Charlie Winfield. That was a neat broadcast last night. Out in the outfield. More uh, broadcasts ought to be that way. That is just hanging out with the crowd, watching the game. Don't do too much talking. Don't make too much out of it. Right? Did I nail it? Is that about it? Don't do too much talking. Don't make it into a big deal. <laughs> and stop interviewing everybody. My only problem is I got this picture of Harry Carey without a shirt on in my head. Hey. Get me out of there. <laughs> it was when he was a little younger, him. but still, yeah. I mean, still. it was just he just got, he's sitting out there getting sunburned, drinking Budweiser, broadcasting mm-hmm. with a handheld mm-hmm. microphone in about row number eight. <laughs> it was something else. Of course, it, the picture was in black and white, so I don't know if he was sunburned or not. I just <laughs> I just assumed that he was. Yeah, but I'm going to tell you something, Bill. Let me complain about other broadcasts I've seen recently. And I forget. It was one of the games I turned on. I was trying to watch it. Man, at the beginning of this game, it's like they were going to try to interview everybody they could possibly interview during the game. You know, they're doing like a split screen, and the game's on one half of the TV screen, and the other half of the screen's a guy in the, I think it was Tennessee, like in the Tennessee dugout, who's like their third pitcher. And they're just talking and talking and talking. Nobody wants to see that, except his mom. 
And then, um, so that's a waste of time, and it's hard to watch broadcasts for because of that. And then I watched one game the other day where, I mean, it's the first inning. The game had just started. It's a TV game. First inning. And in the first inning, they're already not paying any attention to the game and having some side conversation and totally missed something significant that happened. I know what it was. A ball uh, went straight. Batter swings, misses it. It distracted the catcher, apparently. He misses it, and it hit the umpire on the arm. Bam! I'm talking about full force. Umpires doubled over and on the ground and everything. He's hurting. And these guys had to finish their conversation about something totally not related before they even recognized and acknowledged that the umpire had gotten hit and was hurt. It's just hard to watch that crap when they do that stuff. You don't ever get that with, you know, Bart and Charlie. They they do the game, realize, hey, man, if anybody's watching this, it's to see the ball game. You know, it's not to see the third-string pitcher interviewed over there. I know third string is a football term. Sorry, forgive me. Okay, it's not to hear these two guys blabbing about some other story, you know, horse racing. I'm trying to watch a baseball game. Shut up. That's what I kind of liked about the USFL. The first few games I watched, they would, during part of the game, they would just shut up and let you hear the coaches Mm -hmm. and the players and all the sounds from the field. Right. And you got to see almost every play without them saying a word. Right. But you had the coach calling in the plays, talking to the players, the player, the you know, the yeah. quarterback calling the play, talking yeah. to his players. It was great. You're right, Bill. In fact, the the it was that first weekend of the USFL I turned it on and we yeah. noticed that there was a long period of time, long, where they didn't say a single word in the broadcast booth. It was nothing but natural sound and mic'd up players and coaches. In fact, you could hear, you know, the quarterback was mic'd up, mm-hmm. and the drone camera. You could hear it. You could hear the drone <laughs> going. <laughs> it sounded like yeah. the Jetsons. I'm watching a football game, and I hear the Jetsons going. <laughs> you know, uh, it was kind of it was kind of neat because then you all, sometimes you hear the guys up in the in the booth talking down to the coach, yeah. and then you you get to hear uh, the guys when the refs would call. Uh, you know, like there'd be a, a a play that's been in review, you got to hear the whole conversation between the review team and the, and the umpire on the field. Right. The ref on the field, you know. Right. So it was great. And making the decisions, here's what we're going to do, we're going to stay with what you called, you know, that kind of thing. You get to hear the whole conversation. It, it's, it's great. It is All great. that technology, you might as well use it. Well, and that's right. And, you know, let's take a note or two from what the USFL has done. You know, even though, okay, not as many people are going to watch a USFL game as a big-time college game, Bill. I mean, we know that. No. Okay, but still, it doesn't mean that what they're doing is not good. They could take a note or two. Hey, look, it works. You know? All right, so so let's make a list. All right? This ought to be some rules for television broadcasters doing sporting events, doing ball games in particular. Number one, cut out the interviews. <laughs> we don't need it. Nobody wants it. It doesn't add anything to the broadcast. Would anybody, does anybody disagree with that? It's okay to disagree. You don't have to agree with me. I'm just, I need to know. Does anybody disagree? I've yet to find anyone who disagrees with it. Nobody wants to see a player interviewed. Nobody wants to see a coach interviewed between innings. Stop it. Like Bill said, if I hear a coach, it ought to be 
a mic where they're letting me into the world of the coach. You know? Give me that. But don't put a headset on him. Ask him two dumb questions that are going to elicit airfield answers. Just don't waste my time with that. So number one, you broadcasting a ball game on TV, cut out the interviews. If you, The only way I should hear a player or a coach during a game is if you have them mic'd up. I don't need you to ask them silly questions. <clears throat> okay, so that's number one. Cut out the interviews during the game. Let's let let's be fair. Question, Bill, shoot me down here. Is it different in football, the interview going into halftime? Well, they're quick. They're very they quick. Yeah, they're very quick. They they don't take as much time because that that interview, like you say, in the dugout, it's like, oh. <laughs> yeah, you know, the, the plays will be going on on the field, and you're trying to pay attention to what's going on on the field, and they're they're talking to the coach, and it's like, okay, wait a minute. Well, and you never get anything out of the coach. No, you're not going to get anything out of it. And and some might go, well, you don't get anything out of the football coach at half. But the deal is with me, okay, halftime is technically the game is not going on. Mm, You're not playing, right? You're not interrupting game. You're just catching them on the way to the locker room. And sometimes you can get a good reaction, and they are quick. That is is true. So so, bring your popcorn. So number one, cut out the interviews. This is rules for TV sporting event broadcasts. Cut out the interviews. Number two. Focus on every play. Focus on every play. Okay, play being a football term, but if we look at it in baseball, replace play with pitch. Listen, seriously, if you're watching a baseball game, you are the viewer, you are in control of what you hear and don't hear. You have a remote Turn it down. You don't want to hear it. You have a phone. Turn down the volume. You don't want to hear what they're saying. Okay? So, therefore, if you're in a stretch here where you need a little silence or you need to think about something else, guess what? You're the viewer. You'll do it. You'll step aside. You'll think about something else, talk about something else. We don't need the broadcasters doing that. If I turn on a game, a baseball game, and I watch about four pitches in any point of the game, no matter what the score is, and I hear the announcers and they have yet to acknowledge that a pitch was thrown, they're carrying on a conversation about something else. I've seen four pitches. And we didn't even get, you know, the old broadcasters would stop in the middle of their conversation and go, that one's a little bit low. That's ball two. And then they would continue. And then the next pitch, low and away, ball three. We need more Vin Scully's. Yeah, and it continues. So you want to talk about other stuff? I get it, but don't completely ignore. I'm saying, Bill, that and this happened this past week, watching a game where the guys broadcasting it won't even acknowledge what I'm seeing on my screen. Outs, pitches, hit by pitch. It's like they aren't even looking at it. You know, I don't understand. I just don't get it how a television broadcaster of a sporting event would get it inside their head that I want their opinion on other stuff. Really. Think about that for a minute. Think about the assumption that's going on there. To step in there, put on a headset, 
there to call a baseball game. You're either the play-by-play -play or a former player or something. And just assume that anybody watching it wants your opinion on anything except the game. So number two, focus on every play slash pitch. I think the best TV guys are the guys that come out of radio. Because in radio, you have to paint the picture. Right. Because people aren't seeing it. But then, you know, yeah. and then too many, too many, too many uh, television broadcaster guys are lazy. Right. The guys that come out of radio can't be lazy because no, they, they haven't be. been allowed to. Radio, you have to fill the space and paint the picture. Yeah, and then it seems, and told. then you come out of radio and TV seems easy because you get to be silent some. Yeah. You know, and in radio, you don't get to be silent. Nope. Very often. Uh, so that's rule number one. Cut out the interviews. Rule number two, focus on every play slash pitch. Rule number three, hmm, what should that be? Rule number three should be uh, emotion, your emotion as a broadcaster should match the environment. It should never, you should never be more excited than the reality of the environment. And you should never be more gloomy and drab than the reality of the environment. Whatever's going on in the environment, match it. So that if I'm watching or listening, I get it. Because I ain't there. <laughs> I can make all this stuff sound really easy, can't it? <laughs> all right, we did our best. We did our best. We got three rules that ought to be enough. That right there would make them all better. TV I'm talking about. All right. A little bit of time left with you here on Hump Day. Let's see what we get into next. Stay with me. He's going all the way. Bring it up, bring it up, bring it up. With playoff caliber sports talk, it's the Matt Wyatt Show. Three minutes of your life right now. Back. In the Bureau, the Farm Bureau Insurance Studio. Farm Bureau Insurance. Go! Go! With the home team. They are your home team at Farm Bureau Insurance. Your hometown heroes. That's your local Farm Bureau Insurance agents in all 82 counties around the great state of Mississippi. And here's Jerry. My first big-time game was against Alabama. In the Southeastern Conference. Well, my first big time game was the first one I played in against Tennessee up at Knoxville. But the one I remember the most. We played Alabama my last year at Mississippi State and they broke out a sophomore running back named Chio Daddy or Duo Duty, one of the two. As the runningest fella I ever seen in my life, he'd stop and start and belly back and slither and double back and oh he could run one time he has gone for a touchdown and he just turned around and run back through us just to humiliate us <laughs> i was playing left defensive tackle you put your best lineman there well back in them days most of your football team run to the right and they put your best lineman right there. Well, Butch Avenger, quarterback for Alabama, took the football and took one step and quick pitch to Chio Duty. Here he come around my side. 
I busted through, knocked a guard named Holnack down. Stomped him, got old Chio Duty around the waist. Oh, I knew I had him for a loss because on that Mississippi State side, I could hear them cowbells ringing. And just as I went to sling him to the ground, he slithered. Went straight up in the air like you squeeze a watermelon seed. I fell to the ground on my belly. And Chio Didi come down in my back and just done a little dance all over the top of me. Jumped off of me and commenced to running. I'm laying there on my belly beating the ground with my fist, squalling. My teammate Dog Owen said, Jerry, get up and chase him. I said, lay still. He'll be back by here in a minute. <laughs> a boy, Jerry. Yeah, G.O. Duty or Duo Daddy, one or the yeah, other. One of those, yeah. it matter. <laughs> the, late, the late, great Jerry Clower. We're going to have some more of that coming up in future shows. There's one, there's one Mississippi, and there's lots of them. We need to make sure we do our part that we don't forget them, right? Don't forget them. Lots of folks. Uh, okay, earlier I made a comment at the end of the interview with uh, Charlie Winfield. I said, hey, Charlie. State's got to have a minor miracle this weekend just to get into the SEC tournament. And I'm going to agree to, along with Brad Cumbest, who's got a new haircut, by the way, to shave my head for good luck. And I wanted him and <laughs> Bart to join me. And he sort of sarcastically would not agree to it there. Now, Bulldog West texted the show, and he said, Matt, you offering to shave your head is like my wife giving up alcohol for Lent every year. She doesn't drink. <laughs> That's a good one, Bulldog West. And you're right. That was the joke, was shaving my head, because I'm doing that anyway. I'm doing that anyway. Hey, uh, Bulldog West, here's one for you. Um, go... And tell your wife that today, May the 18th, is National No Dirty Dishes Day. Go tell her that, Wes, and then tell me how it goes. <laughs> today is National No Dirty Dishes Day. I can't stand dirty dishes. Can't stand it. That was country for I cannot Put up with it. Can't stand it. Drives me crazy. I don't have a whole lot of OCD things, tendencies. I'm not over there flicking light switches and stuff. Yeah. But two things for me. One, if I go in, Bill, I wonder if you can associate with this. Some people can. If I go in a bathroom and the bath mats that are on the floor are crooked, I have to straighten them. I use my feet, I straighten them. They have to be perpendicular and right angles. <laughs> yeah, that's OCD. I got that, too. You got some of that, too? See, we've all got a little bit of it, I think. But the other one for me is, ugh, I go in a kitchen and there's dirty dishes sitting around everywhere. I start twitching. I've got to get rid of that. You know, and it's, it can get out of hand quick. Agreed? 
it can definitely get out of hand quick. So um, go in there and do the, dirt, the dishes today. Today is National No Dirty Dishes Day. Also wishing my sweet baby sister Beth a happy birthday today. Today is her birthday. Be calling and singing to her today after work. All right, let's head over, speaking of phone calls, to the Divini phone, Divini Equipment, Winslow, hanging out on line one. What's up, Winslow? Matt, I got a Jerry Clower story that actually happened in real life with me. Awesome. Back, back when I was a, a student writer, I, I covered the basketball team and went to Albuquerque, New Mexico, to play in the uh, Christmas tournament that uh, New Mexico hosts. And I'm sitting out on the baseline one night before the game starts and kind of getting ready to shoot some basketball and everything. And I look up, and Jerry Cloward is over there on the sideline right there in front of the PA guy. And, and, you know, you can't mistake Jerry. He used to wear that big old bright red coat and everything. Uh, yeah. And he's just, he looks like he's preaching a sermon. And I'm like, well, I got to go get some pictures of this. So I got over there and got closer and started taking pictures. And the PI, PA guy turns and gives me a dirty look like, no, you don't take pictures of me. But I kept on going. So I finally started listening. And Jerry was giving this guy, you know, the what for, because up on the scoreboard, they had M-I-S-S. That's all they had. Mm-hmm. And, and Jerry was going, mister, that says Mississippi. We ain't Mississippi. We are Mississippi State. The Mississippi basketball team ain't within 500 miles of <laughs> And he's just letting him have it. And the poor guy's, you know, sitting there going, I don't know who was responsible for that, but I'm, I'm getting them out to the game, you know. But he he did that. With the, and, and I found out later, Jerry was like doing a show over in El Paso or something. Uh-huh. So, you know, Albuquerque was a, a pretty close drive or close enough. And so he wanted to go over and see Mississippi State play. So the very next night, Jerry's not there. He's gone back and he's probably doing his show. But they put ST up on the scoreboard that night. Mm-hmm. So we were no longer Mississippi. We got we got MS, M-A-S-S-S-T that night. That's great. But boy, he, he let him have it, you know, and I was just sitting there going, go, Jerry. Go, Jerry. <laughs> <laughs> and the Mississippi basketball team ain't within 500 miles of here. <laughs> yeah, and, and you, you can just hear it in his voice. The Mississippi team ain't within 500 miles of here tonight, you know. <laughs> I can definitely, I can close my eyes and hear it in my head. I can hear his voice. That's great. <clears throat> that is fantastic. You know, um, Winslow, if you ever get a chance to bump into um, Neil Price, my broadcast partner for football, uh, strike up a Jerry Clower conversation with Neil. Neil's a big fan, and Neil went and toured the Jerry Clower Museum and everything down in Liberty. And uh, mm-hmm. Sauce never he got a tour of the town from uh, Jerry Clower's daughter, who kind of owns that museum, and she's the one who you set up an appointment. She'll open it up and show you around and everything. And so Neil came home with some stories that I had never heard before, and he w- he would love to talk to you about it. So next time you see him, hit him up on that. Well, I've heard you interview him about it before, and and, and I'm just just sitting there just entranced, you know, because I've got, uh, I I was I was probably a young kid when Jerry kind of started making it big, and everybody started talking about 
you know, and, and I guess I knew who he was before I ever knew his name, but, uh-huh. you know, because everybody in Mississippi was buying his records. Uh-huh. And, 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 you know, the, the phrase, knock it, knock it out, John, yes. you know, started popping up at the, back in the, in, in the early Pope days that we had a, had a, a third baseman catcher named John McDonald, and I believe he was the very first one. Uh-huh. And that was about the time that Jerry was in his heyday, too, you know. And somebody said that at one of the games one night. Knock it out, John! <laughs> and everybody knew the reference. But Knock him out, don't. John! <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> That's great, because I remember uh, when I was in school, um, in the in the nineties, there there was a guy on a baseball team hitting home runs all the time. John Knott, you remember John? John Knott, yeah. and John Mitchell. You know, we've had several Johns through right. the years, but right. I'm pretty sure John McDonald was the first because he came in in the class that had Nat Showalter and Jack Lazorko and some of those. Okay, that's cool. Yeah, I, I just remember John, the one of the first few baseball games I went to when I was in school. Uh, and John Knott goes to the play, and I hear somebody up there in the in the you know over there behind third base go knock it out, John. <laughs> and I thought it yeah. was the coolest thing. It's first time I'd ever heard it. The late Ray Stroud, I believe, was the one that started that. How about that? That's really cool. Yeah. Well, good to hear from you, Winslow. Thanks for the story, man. Happy. Thank you. Yeah. Call me anytime. Yeah. Neil tells the story they told him about. Jerry Clower goes to Chicago, gets out of the cab. He's walking down the street, downtown Chicago. And on the other side of the street was Telly Savalas, the actor, and said just this is the way Jerry was. Out of nowhere, he goes, hey, man. Telly Savalas looks at him. Jerry Clower goes, you're Kojak. <laughs> and said Telly Savalas immediately went, yeah, and you're Jerry Clower. And it turned out Savalas was a huge Jerry Clower fan, and they became lifelong friends after that. Random meeting in downtown Chicago. Fun show today, y'all. We'll do it again tomorrow, same time, same place. Bill, I'm Matt. Everybody here in the Farm Bureau Insurance Studio. See you tomorrow.